Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 70 of Season 5 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today to finish off this week is John from the Dirty Harry Minute. Welcome back, John. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, well, we've, we've made it through the week. We've, we've made it to Friday. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so, so that's always fun that always works well Friday <laughs> yippee Friday <laughs> maybe I don't know good one maybe not okay <laughs> <laughs> alright so episode 70 begins with Trudeau giving an uncertain response and ends with the FM1 pilot arguing with the tower so we basically ended things yesterday with the bad guys finding out that, you know, FM1 is, is coming closer. He warns the, the tower and then Barnes looks over at Trudeau and says, well, what are we going to do? And Trudeau ends, uh, starts this minute actually by saying, obey. You know, he, he doesn't look as if he, <laughs> he, he doesn't, he's not really sure what he wants to do, but he realizes that they, they don't really have uh, much of a choice here. You know, even though Trudeau knows that they've broken the code, despite the fact that, you know, they don't know that the, the, the bad guys don't know that they've found a way to break the code, you know, because of the fact that they're able to use the, um, what's called it, they're able to, to, to use, you know, the, the uh, outer marker beacon, you know, to talk to all the planes and tell them what they need to do. You know, so. Yeah, he, he's not really sure what's going to do. And then the rest of this minute is going to basically be taking place uh, on the, this uh, FM1, Foreign Military 1. And, you know, they give us a shot of the pilot and co-pilot of this plane who we saw earlier in the movie. And basically we, we hear Stuart on the radio pretending to be the tower where he says, Dulles Tower to Foxtrot Michael 1. Dulles Tower to Foxtrot Michael 1. This is Foxtrot Michael 1, Dulles. We read you. Over. Foxtrot Michael 1, you are to come in on runway 15. Repeat, 15. So let, let, let's actually talk a little bit about the, the codes that they use here. Okay, the, the idea of calling it Foxtrot Michael 1. Do, do you know where that idea comes from, basically? Or do you know what that's even called? The answer to that question, last question, is no. I suppose they needed, like when you repeat any name over, you know, the phone or in the army over radio, just to clarify what you mean, like A for Alpha, B for Barry, just to define the definition of what that letter is, because it's all good saying A. It's like, what do you mean, B, uh, E, A, just to clarify? I suppose it's just been around for hundreds of years in telegraph, to te- telephony, telephony, hasn't it? You tell me. How old is it? Okay, so it, it's 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 known as the International Radio Telephony Spelling Alphabet. Okay, nowadays it's actually known as the spelling NATO alphabet. Ah. That's, it's known as the NATO phonetic alphabet, and it it uses a set of clear code words for communicating letters of the Roman alphabet. All right. Sometimes it's uh, 
it has a whole bunch of different names, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, we have these 26 different uh, terms that are used in order to make sure that when you're talking to somebody, they know what, what letter you're talking about. Because for instance, you know, certain letters sound very similar. And if you're, you're, if it's a garbled message or your the line isn't as clear as you would like it to be, it's very possible that they won't completely understand what you're saying. You know, an M and an N sound very similar and D and P and B sound very similar. Yeah. So it just makes sense to use uh, terms that are much more easily identifiable. Okay. But we're actually going to go even further back because before we had the, uh, the NATO version of it, which that actually was, it has been used since 1956. Okay. Which we'll, we'll get to that list in a second as to what's mm-hmm. there. But beforehand, uh, a, a number of different uh, military armies used different codes. Like the British had their codes, and and then the the Americans had their codes. So like during World War II, the the Americans had a specific set of uh, of codes that were used uh, over the course of of the you know over the course of the war. Like if you, I don't know, have you ever seen like Saving Private Ryan or Band of Brothers or a whole bunch of other, you know, World War II type uh, movies? Have you seen any of those? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, do you yeah. remember, I do you remember in I, Band I of Brothers? Anyway. Okay. Um, ah, so Private Ryan. So in Private Ryan, do you remember any of the, the, the various company names that they would use? Because you'd have like company A, company B, company C, but they had, they used names for it. Right. Are you, are you familiar with any of those? Company Bravo? Company Bravo, Charlie, or something? Or is that what you mean? Okay. So, well, that's the thing. I can't remember so, any of the nicknames. No. Well, what you're, you're saying the ones that are now used, you know, for NATO Army ones, the U.S. Army ones. So uh, A was Able. So they, they, you know, a lot of times you'll have them say Able Company. Oh. B is Baker. C mm-hmm. is Charlie. D is Dog. E is Easy. You know, Easy Company. Uh, F is Fox, mm-hmm. G is George, H is How, H-O-W, I is Item, hmm. J is Jig, K is King, L is Love, M is Mike, N is Nan, O is Oboe, I don't know why, uh, P is Peter, Q is Queen, R is Roger, S is Sale or Sugar, T is Tear, T-A-R-E, U is Uncle, V is Victor, W is William, X is X-Ray, Y is Yoke, and Z is Zebra. Okay. But the, the ones that they now use instead, so, you know, you have Alpha instead of Abel, Bravo instead of Baker, and then Charlie is the same, Delta instead of ah. Dog, Echo instead of Easy, Foxtrot instead of Fox, Golf instead of George, Hotel instead of How, India instead of Item, Juliet instead of Jig, Kilo instead of King, Lima instead of Love, Mike stays the same, November instead of Nan, Oscar instead of Obo, which Oscar sounds much better, uh, Papa instead of Peter, Quebec instead of Queen, Romeo instead of Roger, Sierra instead of Sale, Tango instead of Terror, Uniform instead of Uncle, Victor stays the same, Whiskey instead of William, X-Ray stays the same, 
mm. Yankee instead of Yoke, and then Zulu instead of Zebra. So I, it's it's very strange because you know on the one hand I like the old versions of it, but I do like the new ones also. So you know I guess it all depends if you're if you're watching something from World War II or uh, or or afterwards. But so the, the whole idea basically is to to help make things, you know, sound. Uh, when you're spelling something out for it to sound much, much better. So, you know, if the plane in this case is FM, so it's foreign military one. Okay. So if they had used the World War II ones, so then they would call it uh, Fox Michael. But here they call it Foxtrot Michael. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I just thought it was very interesting, the fact that, uh, you know, the way that this evolved over the years, you know, in order to be able to, I mean, and, and it makes sense. Because if you're trying to explain something to somebody, instead of saying a letter, it's much easier just to talk about the entire, um, you know, the, the use a word, which is one of the reasons why they used to do that for phone phone numbers also. A lot of times you'll see in old movies, you know, people will say either KL5 something, or sometimes yeah. they'll actually use a word. You know, when they're trying to, to reach some sort of extension, they'll use a word that uses two of the, the, you know, the first two letters in order to figure out, uh, you know, where, what it is. And they would I think they would say Klondike five, seven or something like that. You know, Klondike is KL, which yeah. on a phone is, is uh, K and L are both fives. So it would be five, five, five anyway. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about the fact a few weeks ago mm-hmm. about where that comes from, the whole idea of five, five, five numbers and stuff like that. So basically then the, the shot changes and we're we're in the back of the plane and we see someone struggling and if anyone if you were paying attention this is actually the guard who was guarding esperanza uh, a few weeks ago uh esperanza has once again you know used his charisma to get him to come closer to perhaps light up a cigar for him or something like that and he takes the takes advantage of it and starts strangling the guy and ends up killing him and as he's killing him, we actually hear the snap of his neck. You know, it's pretty, it's, it's, mm. you know, the sound is there, you know, by the way that they do it. Um, but, you know, as far as it, it doesn't look like he, it's that difficult for him to take care of, to take, to, to deal with this, to, you know, kill this soldier who theoretically he's supposed to be, you know, working with and stuff like that. And, the the music changes at that moment also. We get very suspenseful music as this is all going on. So I, I, I like the way that they do that too. Do you like the sort of medium to extreme close up of the belt and everything? It's you think it's a Well the extreme you mean the yeah. extreme close up to see that he has a US military holster? Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, interesting. You know, again, well, it's yeah. it's US funded uh, they're U.S. funded uh, military, so mm. you know the fact that we can see that his holster says U.S. on it, you know that already says a lot about yeah. you know that this was something that the U.S. was in favor of until they decided one day that they were no longer in favor of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah, agree, I, I like agree. I like that little touch of showing that you know, and then uh, we we go back to to John and uh, our good friend uh, Marvin. They continue their conversation, and Marvin says, I found it on the floor by the coat next to the luggage belt. What the hell are you so excited about that for? And John goes, the coat's still punched into this one. You like it, huh? How about you give me 20 bucks for it? 
How about I let you live? <laughs> and then Marvin looks over him and goes, man knows how to bargain. <laughs> man knows how to bargain. I'm Jack Nicholson here. But yeah. um, yeah, a bit harsh, isn't it? Yes. Judge the room, McLean, a bit over the top. Yeah, I, I don't know if we really needed this whole scene. I mean, it, it, again, for him saying where it came from makes sense. For for them to get into a little bit of a uh, an argument about who's, you know, about whether he should be paying for it or not, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little confused about that. Don't know. You know, I'm, I'm I'm on the fence as to whether that is really necessary or not. You know, for him to do that. And then we go back to the plane. Well, first of all, no, sorry. Before we go back to the plane, so you know. What this establishes is that this coat either belonged to Miller or to Cochran. Okay, but if he found it, why would it have a bullet hole in it? Because they, it means they would have taken it off beforehand. It wasn't that they took it off. Did, actually, you know what? I think Cochran takes off his jacket right before, you know, when they're in the middle of, of the fight. But it, I don't think he gets shot before then. So that, that's the strange thing. Yeah, I'm just rewinding. Fun. I'm just playing back the minute. So, what's the bullet hole thing? Does someone the, comment on that, or we see it? No, you did. The the, the fact that there's a bullet hole in in the uh, jacket. Oh yes, sorry, the coat. Yeah, the jacket. Yeah. Yeah, because he's you can see his hand go through it in the previous minute. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the walking. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. I was talking about the the, the jacket. Yeah. So mm. the you know, but but when we see John back in the luggage area. There's there's nothing here to to show that yeah you know that he shot them beforehand yeah that's right you know I mean when John's looking around and then he sees them and he you know he then says something about who he is actually mm -hmm. John is carrying a coat at that point could it be that this is John's coat well what does the script say I mean the well, the script doesn't say where, where the uh, – so far, the script doesn't say where it is. Okay, when John gets shot at, so he drops his jacket that he was talking – that he was wearing. So yeah. it's very possible that this was John's jacket because I don't see – when rewatching those minutes, I don't see either uh, Miller or Cochran taking off their jackets. No. Yeah, this was, this was John's jacket, which makes sense. That then earlier in the week when John says to him – you know, I didn't like it much back when I had it or something to that. It it shows that that really was John's jacket. But then right. why would he why would John say next week that he's that he can get him a uh, a lining for the jacket? You know, because right. it, it means does that mean that that lining is very standard? And why doesn't he mention it here to uh, Marvin or it could be the bus? Yeah. Why doesn't he mention what? That it's his jacket? Yeah. Well, why is this? Well, again, he, he well, made yeah. he made a comment earlier this week, you know, about the fact that it's possible that that, you know, it can be interpreted that it's that it is John's. Yeah. Um, what does he say? Uh, this was back on Monday. No, Tuesday. Tuesday when Marvin said. You interested in a nice coat, and then John says, "No, it never looked good on me anyway." Ah, oh, right. 
place. We've got so yeah, that that, yep. that that actually now makes sense. Yep. So you know, it was it it was definitely uh, um, once again Chekhov's coat. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I don't remember if we I think we did see the uh, the radio, you know, uh, go flying at some point. So therefore, you know, it makes sense that that Marvin would find both of those items in the same area. You know, it's not that far fetched to think that. Once again, so so yeah. So once again, Carmine really didn't investigate or put up police tape or really do any sort of uh, forensic um conta- uh, like preservation of the crime scene did he if uh, marvin well he hasn't had a chance because because in in the interim there's a new crime scene yeah that's right <laughs> that has four dead bodies instead of just one <laughs> this man's just been killed his head's been crushed um but yeah there's two more murders so let's let's completely just not worry about that first murder anyway that's right that's right. That makes sense. Uh, then, then we go back to the plane, and the the pilot it continues to argue with the tower by saying, "This is contrary to our instructions. We are to land on runway one zero, where we are to be met." And then he gets cut off. So, you you'd think that it wouldn't make a difference to the pilot because you know you're you're flying somewhere. And and they tell you, okay, the assumption is is that you're going to land on runway uh, ten. That's fine. But okay, you get to the airport, and now uh, there's too much snow. That runway is too icy. Uh, there's a there's a plane stuck on that runway, so we want you to land on a different runway. You know, the the argument that the pilot gives here isn't very convincing. Uh-huh. You know. Because why would you get instructions saying, okay, you're only to land on runway one zero. If anyone tells you different, don't believe them. So I don't know. I'm a little, uh, uh, I'm a little uh, skeptical, skeptical about that one. Well, not really. Sure. I mean, the major plot device, if, if this general is so important, I, why they're letting a foreign military force deliver him and two why are they delivering him i think part of the the issue here is is that okay this is valverde has overthrown its its uh, previous dictator and they're now delivering you know the the new government in valverde is are the people that are now delivering it yeah i, I think in reality america would say no look we'll, we'll take carriage of this you know we're not going to let um we're not going to let the new democratic government in Afghanistan fly Osama bin Laden back to the States. Not that I'm equating the two, but I'm just saying, I think America would intervene and go, no, look, that's fine. You're a new government. Okay. We trust you sort of, but please let us handle this. We'll send a a Hercules in there and take him. And we're not going to fly him back to bloody John Kennedy airport. We're going to, we're going to take him to the Pentagon airport or whatever. Anyway, we need to have a movie. Or, 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 or Gitmo. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and and that's pretty much how this this minute ends. You know, to to find out what happens with it, we'll have to speak to uh, you know we'll have to wait until Monday to find out what what uh, what continues to happen. But what what's great here is is that you can see in the background as the pilot is talking, 
you see Esperanza slowly entering the cockpit very silently. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're, I mean, we already know that he just killed, you know, the guy who was guarding him. So something nefarious is happening. But you see him show up with a gun in his hand walking into the cockpit. And it, I got to say, it's a good cliffhanger to keep people over the weekend by the way that they do that. Oh, yeah, very. Couldn't, couldn't have planned it better. Yeah, that's true. All right, so the, the script is pretty much the same. It, it has a few little minor discrepancies where basically, you know, Stuart tells him to, you know, the, to, to come to runway 15. And then it says uh, the camera is in the rear cabin just in time to see Esperanza strangle the nice young corporal with the chain from his handcuffs. He lets the body drop nice and soft so it doesn't make a sound. Taking the handcuff key from the body, he frees himself. And then it, it goes back to, to John and Marvin and says, McLean is examining the scram scrambler, excited. The code, the code still punch. Where'd you get this? Came with the code over near the luggage belts. Look like one of them Japanese radios. Can't hold a candle to a nice zenith if you ask me. You like it, huh? How about $20? And then McLean goes, how about I let you live? Marvin hands it over and says, man knows how to bargain. And then uh, the rest of it is, is still the same. So, yeah. So, John, did you have anything else you want to say about, you know, this, what we've talked about this week or perhaps uh, something about the movie in general? Um, well, what you've just mentioned, that bit in the script. So are we supposed to – Marvin's a vet, I guess. Do you reckon a World War II vet if he's – Oh, that we know. Oh. We know he is because later on he'll say he, – he says just like Iwo Jima. You know, he will have ah. that, that, that phrase that he, that he barks out. Uh, I believe it's – probably one of the last scenes in the movie uh, no sorry it's after i think it was after john shoots with the blanks i think that's where he goes just like you with Jamma. okay um even though tom bauer was not old enough to fought in Iwo Jima, but that that's a separate issue we'll get there when we get there <laughs> and obviously a bit of a part of this movie talks about john hating technology right and then here you've, mm -hmm. here you've got someone, the context of someone hating technology because it, you know, rep, it comes from a, a form of foe. Um, so, yeah, there's a bit of a political commentary there, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, I was surprised when I watched this movie. Like, I always thought this movie was a bit of a, a lesser action movie. And then when I watched it, I thought, it's pretty good. And I don't know if a lot of that for me is just because I pretty much love everything I I've seen Bruce Willis in, like he's a commanding performer. And you sort of, I always thought, oh, the best thing about Die Hard is the claustrophobia of it, about, you know, one one location. Mm -hmm. And this movie, this movie's all over the place. You know, in theory, he can be, he's, he's at the church, he's in the air, he's on a plane, he's in a plane, he's in a helicopter, he's on the wing of a, a plane. So that didn't detract at all. So I quite really enjoyed the opportunity to rewatch it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a nice little artifact, I guess. Like, I mean, action films, I suppose have been around for 10 years at this sort of time. Sequels were still apart from Rambo and stuff, sort of action sequels were a bit of a novelty. And when I was rewatching it, you know, that bit where he's complaining about Glocks, you know, Glocks are these new guns. You, you haven't, 
heard of. They don't go, they don't turn up on x-rays. And, and when they're still explaining things like that to the audience, you think, oh yeah, it's, um, it's sort of towards the, the beginning of action movies and action tropes. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, there's that bit later when, you know, the, the pinko journalist, what's her name? She's reporting on the crash or whatever. Dan, Co- yeah. Dan Coleman. Yeah. And you know what she says? And she goes, now we're going to cut to a break. And it's like, now it would be a 24 news cycle thing. You know what I mean? And so it's, there are some parts of it where it's, <laughs> it's sort of quaint in a way because the audiences aren't really um, totally to speed with what we expect from sequels and action films as well. Obviously it's got the commentary about the media and everything, but basically yeah, it's a lot of set pieces, great action. I'd say there's enough twists in the end and um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for letting me come and uh, an excuse for me to watch it again. All right. Great. But you know, we're not done yet. We still have Friday segment to do. (gasps) So every Friday we have a segment called where are they up to this weekend? Oh, where uh, I have I have a little fun with my guests and uh, try to see how good their memory is about some of the movies that they deem as part of their favorites. So you know, John, I know you did uh, Dirty Harry mm-hmm. uh, minute by minute. So where do you think? What do you think is going on in Dirty Harry at the seventy minute mark? This I know. So around sixty, they're at Mount Davidson Cross. Um. I want to say, is it in Kizar Stadium when he's, when Harry's torturing Scorpio and where's the girl? I have the right to a lawyer. Is it around there? Yeah, that is exactly where it is. <sighs> that is great. Wow. Good job. Good job on that one. <laughs> All right. But now, now we're going to see how well you know the other movies in the Dirty Harry franchise. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is fun. I like this. Okay, so... All right, so moving along, we're, we're going to go to uh, Magnum Force. Mm-hmm. What is happening in Magnum Force at the 70-minute mark? This will be a lot harder. I will explain to the uh, to people listening that Dirty Harry is a tight 100 minutes. So good. No fat on that bone. Magnum, which is a great movie, is longer. It's like almost about two hours. So 70 minutes. Yes. Yeah, it's, 70. it's even over. It's over. Yeah. It's over two hours. It's two hours and two minutes. Okay. Is it in the scene where one of the villains in the high-rise apartment is doing cocaine with his 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 girlfriend and the other man, and the the body falls down? Is it there the stakeout? No, no. It, it, it's a scene in in the airport. The airport. Which one? Like when they're farewelling the dead body of Charlie McCoy, or is when it... you you have. You have McQ- you have McQueen. You have Dirty Harry talking to the the, the woman. No, talking to the woman as she's about to she wants to get on the plane and then bringing them bringing her together with the you know her 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 three children. Oh yes, no no I was right then. Like Charlie McCoy's body, I don't know if you see it, but it's going onto the plane and she's there sort of console Harry's consoling her and David Soul's there with his glasses going. Yeah, I think that's the right scene, yeah? It's like a, just a, a minute scene? Yes. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. got that. I got yeah, but you it. said it was in the high-rise. Oh, yes. I got it wrong. But, yeah, I identified what the airport was. <laughs> yeah, what the airport was. Yes. Right. No. Okay, no. Yeah, th- that's good. Yeah. No, I, I still give you credit. You're close. That, okay. that, that's still great. Uh, 
All right, moving along to the enforcer. What is happening at the 70 minute mark of the enforcer? 70? Okay. 70, 70. Yep. So this minute, this movie is around 95 minutes or something long in duration. So they're not. It's 96, yep. yes. They're you're correct. Not on Alcatraz. Um, I want to say, is it in the scene where Harry um, puts on a baseball cap and goes to the the sex parlor to try and get some information, and he's with a blow up doll? Is it around there? No, ah. it's the part where where there there's a car that's driving around, and someone gets shot in the car right before it, uh, you know. It, it, you know, they're 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 chasing the car, and then, you know, they have the an explosion that happens. Oh yes, and they get the mayor out of the car, right? The limousine. That's right. After the bazooka. That's right. Damn. Nice. Yeah. Damn. All yeah. right. Is that three down, two to go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got to make All right. Good. So now we're going to be at. Sudden, sudden, sudden impact. What's going on at sudden impact at the 70-minute mark? 70-minute mark. This movie has a lot of scenes and setups, and it's around two hours as well, isn't it? Something like that? Yes. Um, so it's a little minutes. bit over two hours. I wonder if Harry has Sorry, even... Sorry, it's, it's an hour and 57 minutes. I wonder if Harry has even left San Francisco for San Paolo. Um... I'm going to say it is, and is it where he bumps into Sandra Locke? She's riding her bike, and they're on a, at a marina, and we get introduced to his dog, Meathead. Is it around there? It's uh, – Jerry Harry actually shows up at the fish fish store and uh, ah, yeah. you know, gets into a fight in, in the bathroom. Yeah, with the – the the wife of one of the victims. The cleaver. Yeah, cleaver. Yes. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Now a bit further on in the movie than I thought, but yeah. All right, and the final one, the Deadpool. What is going on at the seventy-minute mark? Oh. Is this during the miniature car chase, and is the car underneath? The Oldsmobile about to blow up uh, Harry and his partner Elvin. Oh, you were you you see you got it. You, so so you, you you bookended it. You got the first and fifth one perfect, <laughs> and then the others you were a little bit off, but you were still good. And I Great. hate. I oh hate, wow, that would... I dislike Deadpool, but um, oh well, two out of five is pretty piss poor, isn't it? But uh, I'm glad I got <laughs> Dirty Harry right. Yeah. Well, at least you got you get you get the Dirty Harry one right, which yeah. which is the important one for you. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thank All right, you. good. I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed that. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Mm. So, John, for one last time this week, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Please. All you need to do is go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever and just search Dirty Harry Minute. Put that into your Google search bar, or you could just go to the source, dirtyharryminute.com, and all our episodes are there and our contact um details are there too at the website so dirtyharryminute.com all right excellent 
And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Or you can find me on my website, moveyourminute.com. So, John, thank you very much for joining me from, from down under this week. You're welcome. I'm glad that you were able to come back this season. It, it was a lot of fun. I will be back on Monday with a with a new guest. But until then, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay, mother. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages, 